Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In 1 John chapter 2, the Apostle John declared, quote, But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. Do you have a lifestyle of increasing obedience to Jesus and the Word of God, your Bible? As we grow in obedience to the Word of God and the Son of God, Jesus, the love of our Heavenly Father becomes more and more full and more and more complete in us. Indeed, there is nothing more beautiful and wonderful than growing in the love of our Heavenly Father. Let's open our Bible now to 1 John chapter 2, that we may learn to walk more deeply and fully in the love of Jesus Christ our Lord. And I mean, this, this, uh, this is big. Okay. I, I had said, I think I'd said each, I think I'd said once in each of the last two teachings that, uh, I was hoping to, that first John would be 10 teachings, five chapters, 10 teachings, 30 minutes each, but, but preparing just for the first 14 verses over the last several days of, uh, of first John, uh, the first 14 verses of chapter two, I, I don't think I'm going to make it. I, I, I don't see how, you know, I, I don't think that this, this chapter is going to be able to be only two teachings. It's, uh, it's got 27 verses. And I mean, the verses are thick. There are, there are different subject lines and it's, uh, it's big. So father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your mercy, father. I thank you for your mercy your favor, your goodness, and your grace on our lives. Father, we thank you for your love. Father, we thank you for our Bible. Father, above all, we, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we worship you, we thank you, and praise you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. We ask you to give us eyes that see, ears that hear, hearts that understand. And, and Father, I do want to thank you, Lord, just for a uh, uh, a new baby, baby Elizabeth, Lord, that, uh, you know, that, that has been born to, to Ian and Chloe. And we just ask for your continued mercy and favor and grace. We thank you that she's just such a beautiful, healthy, wonderful, you know, baby Lord. And, uh, we just thank you, Lord, for the health of mama, Lord. We thank you that, that the family is doing well. And we just ask you to continue to, to bless them, father. Father, we thank you and praise you. We commit this time into your hands now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. First John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. All right, I'm going to stop there. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, that was through through verse eight. All right. Okay. Um, now remember, John is, you know, is, is giving, he's, he's written this book and he's given several reasons already. He's written so that, that we will have, have fellowship, right? Deep, intimate relationship with our heavenly father, with Jesus Christ, our Lord, and, and certainly with the Holy Spirit. Um, and, you know, he's written, you know, so that, that we would know that we truly are saved, right? We've talked about 1 John 5, 13. You know, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you will know that you have eternal life, that you can be confident that you have eternal life, that you are saved, that Jesus Christ is living in you and that you will ultimately go to heaven when you die. But he uses this statement, I write to you several times throughout the book. And here in verse one, he says, my dear children, I write to you so that you will not sin. So now here's another reason for writing. All right. Now I was, I was talking to one of our elders, um, Jesse, about this. This very verse, as I was studying for it, really, man, kind of pushed me back because, you know, uh, and, and again, in preparing for this and studying it and, and really meditating on it and seeing what you know, what, uh, you know, what different scholars have to say about the text, different commentators, things like that. Um, sometimes we can, we can be a little bit light on sin. All right. And certainly the church in 2023 has become very quote light on sin. And I, and I looked into my own life and as candid as I could be, I, I was convicted that I can be a little light on, 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 on certain sin in my life, you know, whether, you know, mostly maybe sin in my thoughts, right? Where I can just be irritated. Uh, I can be critical. Now, I, for the most part, I'm able to manage it in my mind, right? But sometimes it comes out of my mouth, I confess. Um, I, I still can be impatient. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. Um, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is patient. So we're, when we're impatient, certainly when I'm impatient, we're not acting in love. Um, and, and there's not an excuse for it. OK, we can't say I was talking to Stephen about this this morning. We can't say that someone else made us impatient. Right. It's silly. OK, um, even when we're treated poorly or disrespectfully or selfishly, we, we can choose to be loving and to be patient. Right. Um, but when he writes here, my dear children, verse one, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And, and again, to read that 
it's plain that John is saying here, the great apostle near 90 years old, is saying that that sin ought not to be a consistent part of our day-to-day life. And, and in the church today, we've, we, we are correct when we say we'll never be perfect in this life. We'll never be completely sinless this side of heaven. But at the same time, we ought to be vigorously uh, growing and maturing in our obedience and in our holiness and in our Christ-likeness so that different sinful thoughts, words, and actions are becoming less and less and less and less. And, um, and really when, you know, the, 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 the teachings and the, you know, the different, you know, just reading what different scholars have said on this, we tend to kind of, we, I think we dumb down the passage is what I'm saying. I really do think it means exactly what it says. I write this to you so that you will not sin. Meaning John has actually grown to a place at 90 years old where he is so, he is, he, his relationship is so deep and so intimate with the father that, that sin in his life is, is something that's very uncommon. Now, the, the biggest mistake we can make is, is looking at ourselves and thinking that, that, that sin in our lives is something that's extremely uncommon. Th- that should be the goal of our lives. Okay, but one of the marks that that you are maturing in your walk with Jesus is that you recognize the different sinful tendencies in your thoughts. Okay, and what do I mean by thoughts? Meaning, if a thought pops into your mind, that's not the sin. Okay, you can't help a thought popping into your mind. But let's say you run with that thought, right? Let's say a thought comes into your mind and then you just you have a certain contempt or a disdain for a person and you keep meditating on it and all of a sudden it drives you into anger and bitterness, that's sinful, right? You've allowed your thoughts to go in that way, right? Um, You know, let's say that, you know, you have a thought of, of, you know, where you were wronged in the past and you just harbor that and that that unforgiveness builds in you, that's sin, right? Let's say you have a thought of, of lust that comes into your mind or, you know, some form of temptation toward lust, okay? The thought that popped into your mind, that in itself is not the sin. The sin is if you run with that thought, you think about it, you continue to meditate on it, you're trying to, to engage that thought and fantasize in that thought. These are what I mean when I say the sins of our thoughts. And, you know, then it goes down and if we're less mature, it's sin in our words, right? We can just say very sinful things. We can say things and use our words in a very sinful way. And then, of course, there's the sin of our actions or our deeds. But he says, my dear children... I write this to you so that you will not sin. For one of the reasons of writing this book is that when we read these five chapters of 1 John, we ought to be more and more convicted over our sin. And sin ought to be a substantially decreasing part of our life. Yes, of course, we will never be perfect. But I do believe that 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 I myself and, and, and the church at large has used that as an excuse. Well, we're never going to be perfect in this life. So but we're really not applying ourselves desiring to be perfect. It's one thing to say I'll never be perfect, but we ought to desire to to rebel and sin against our heavenly father and Jesus Christ, our Lord and the Holy Spirit less and less. Um, and, and the reason we don't is we, we don't really understand 
how egregious our sin really is. I've said this before, and then when I was, uh, you know, when I was, when I was studying to teach this again and meditating on my own life, I uh, again, I do not live my life to the extent that I should in understanding that even what I consider to be the quote, you know, uh, little sins of being, you know, that yes, I am selfish. Sometimes I am impatient. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, I speed sometimes and stuff like that in my car. And, you know, I say things I shouldn't, you know, sometimes. And, and, and I can, I, I can live my life as if, okay, I understand I need to do better, but no, it's a problem, right? I, I need to fix these things. And I need to be more serious about it. So hopefully this is resonating with you. Um, again, uh, when we examine our lives, okay, <clears throat> until we've gotten to a place of immense maturity in our walk, and to give you an example, I don't know any men like this. I know men that are ahead of me, but, but, but not at a place yet where they're walking according to this scripture, but they'd like to be, okay? Um, you know, we, we ought to, we ought to examine ourselves with sober judgment and be able to say, yeah, yeah, I, I don't take certain aspects of my life, certain, certain things of, you know, that I, that I do sins of commission, things I actually do wrong, but then there's sins of omission, things I should be doing and I'm not doing, but he writes this so that you will not sin. All right. And then he says, but if anybody does sin, okay, on the, on the off chance that you do. All right. And again, this is not the pattern of our lives in the church today. OK, that we don't live our lives like on the off chance that we do. Uh, sin is a much too big a pattern in our life. OK, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. OK, so if you're in Jesus today, if, if you're a genuinely saved believer, if you have spiritual life, eternal life living in you. When we do have sin in our lives, and we certainly do too much, I do, um, then, you know, then, then Jesus Christ continues to stand in the gap. Now he, he said, right in John 19, it is finished. He's paid the price for our sin. All of our sin, past, present, and future is credited to the cross, right? It's been paid for at the cross, paid in full, right? Teletestai. It is finished, right? In John 19. And it's it's because of Jesus, the righteous one, he's called here, okay? Jesus lived a perfect, righteous life on our behalf. And when we're saved, that righteous life that he actually lived is credited to you and I who didn't live it, who couldn't live it, but as if we did actually live it. It's incredible, that blessing of receiving the righteous life of Jesus. And in exchange, he receives all of our sin, our disgusting, disobedient, wicked sin, my, my sin of the past, present, and any future sin, okay? It's incredible, okay? So Jesus is our, is our advocate, okay? He's the one that that, you know, when we're accused of sin, that he stands, you know, in that courtroom and says, Father, I've paid the penalty for those sins. And, and again, just, just saying it now just, just, just makes you want to say, thank you, Lord Jesus. We just worship you, Jesus. We praise you and we thank you. We ask you to forgive us, Lord. Forgive me or I'm just too cavalier with, uh, you know, with just different aspects of, of my life. 
We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. Verse 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. This is big, okay? This atoning sacrifice, this propitiation, what it means is he is the one that paid the debt, that, that, that took the penalty for our sins. He's the one that satisfied the righteous wrath of our heavenly father, of God the father against sin. He stood in the way of the wrath of God that, 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 that would, have, would have washed us into eternal hell forever and kept us there. Jesus stood and took the wrath of God on himself. He atoned so that we could be brought back into relationship with our heavenly father and with him and with the Holy Spirit. This is what it means when it says he is the atoning sacrifice. He made payment so that our relationship could be restored and that, and that, that the righteous wrath and anger of a holy God would be satisfied by the death of the righteous son of God. I mean, let that sink in. I need to let that sink into my head. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And look what it says here. And not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. I was talking to a, a brother of mine, a Calvinist brother. And, uh, you know, I've been studying these systematics, these frameworks for, as I've said, 25 years now. And I'm still, you know, um, there's certainly truth in them. I can see where they're beneficial. They help you. These frameworks, Calvinism is a framework or a systematic uh, reform theology is a framework or a, a systematic. Uh, Arminianism is a framework or a systematic. Um, you know, it's a method of interpreting the scriptures. Provisionism is a framework or a systematic. And certainly they can be helpful. But when I was telling this brother, an older brother of mine, good man of God, Billy, I was telling him that, you know, uh, the problem with a framework is you can't take the scripture at face value. It says here, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We all agree with that. And then John says, and not only for ours, our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Okay. It says there plainly, unambiguously, that Jesus Christ died for the sin of the whole world. Now hear me, 98.5, 99% of all Christians believe this, but there is a, you know, there is a devout group in evangelicals. They are devout. They're called reformed Christians. Um, you know, or, 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 you know, even Calvinists and they, you know, they, they believe wholeheartedly that, uh, you know, that Jesus didn't die for the sins of the whole world because of what other scriptures say. And so they have a systematic or a framework, a system by which they interpret the scriptures where, you know, they're trying to marry and, and bring the Bible together and fit which and fit together, which certainly we need to do. But, you know, where, where they would say that no, you know, and the TULIP acronym of Calvinism, um, okay, which is a, you know, an acronym to, to bring together this system, right? Um, the L in TULIP is limited atonement, which is to say that, that, that Christ only died on the cross uh, for those that, that God the Father would elect and choose unto salvation. Now, to 99% of Christians, that sounds unreasonable. What do you mean? Are you saying God actually chose who would be saved 
And, it, it, you know, doesn't it say in 1 Timothy 2, 4, it's God's will, all men be saved. But again, this is the problem with this systematic. When I read this, I want to take it at face value and believe just what it says, that he died not only for my sins and your sins and all those who were saved, but he died for the sins of everyone who has ever lived, right? And, you know, John three sixteen that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, right? So again, it's a big deal. It's an in-house deal. Um, I understand why they believe it. Uh, they may be right. Okay, again, I've been studying these systematics for 25 years, and I'm, I'm not certain, right? Um, I lean away from a, a Calvinist view, but, you know, I, there, is a, there is a chance that it is correct, okay? And I've mentioned this in past teachings. But for this teaching, we're going to take it on its face that Jesus did die for the sin of the whole world. And John 1, 12 says, Yet to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So yes, if you have not received Jesus Christ today, if you're not sure you're trusting in him, you need only receive him. Trust in him. Put your full faith, hope, and confidence in what Jesus has done in living a perfect, righteous life for you, dying a torturous death for you, knowing that he is alive and risen, and you run to him. You humble yourself before him, and you simply, out of your hopeless desperation, call out to him. And if you'll do that and you're genuine, Romans 10, 13 promises that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay? It's not our words that save us, of course, right? But it's that heart. When it comes from that heart of knowing I'm a sinful person, knowing I'm in desperate need of a Savior, knowing that without Jesus, only eternal hell awaits. But yet if I will go to Jesus Christ, that he will have mercy on me if I put my full confidence and faith and trust in what he's done in my place and on my behalf at the cross where he died in my place, where he was punished in my place, right? He lived a perfect righteous life on my behalf in my place that I couldn't live. And he is indeed alive and risen. So again, in genuine humility today, if you'll humble yourself, and receive him as your Lord and Savior. God has given his word. John 1.12. Yet to all who received him. Genuinely. Jesus. To those who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Thank you Lord Jesus. Verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Okay. Now John is going to talk here again about having relationship. About having fellowship. And this ought to be a part of anyone's life who's claiming to be saved. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Do you have a lifestyle? If you claim to be a Christian today, do you have a lifestyle of obeying the word of God? Do you have a lifestyle of obeying Jesus? If you say that you know him, a mark of relationship with Jesus, a mark of that you truly do know him, that you're experiencing relationship with him, that yes, you're, you're walking in his presence, is that you obey him. If you do not have a lifestyle in any manner of obeying Jesus, then you do not experience his presence, okay? God is not mocked, okay? Galatians 6. So again, to the extent we do want to experience the presence of of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and our Heavenly Father and any in everything, but make no mistake, it does flow 
along the lines of obedience. Obedience can do nothing to save us, but it's paramount if we want to know him, know him more deeply, experience him and experience his presence more profoundly. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Do you have a lifestyle of obeying Jesus? Verse four, the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. So now again, John lays down the gamut here. So people are walking around saying, I believe in Jesus. I know Jesus, right? They go to church, but they do not have a lifestyle. The pattern of their life is not one of obeying the word of God. Then they're not telling the truth. Either they're, they're, they're unwittingly deceived or they're self-deceived because God has given his word. First John 2 verse 4, the man who says, I know him, that means man or woman, but does not do what he commands. It doesn't mean perfection here. It means that is the pattern of your life. Do you have a lifestyle of desiring to obey the, obey the word of God, desiring to please Jesus in obedience? The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. The truth is not in him. The word of God is not living in you. The son of God is not living in you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father if not through me. And if you're in Christ today, Jesus, who is the truth, is living in you, right? Verse five, but if anyone obeys his word, okay, so here it is. This is the person who has a lifestyle of obeying the word of God. Wow. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. Okay. And this ought to be the goal of every one of our lives. Every disciple of Jesus Christ ought to have a desire to obey the word of God, because in as much are you showing love for God, love for your heavenly father, love for Jesus and love for the Holy Spirit. It's very clear here that love for God is tied to your obedience. Of course, we should tell him we love him, okay? We should say, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Father. I love you, Holy Spirit. That's a good thing to do. We ought to do it. But love for God is clearly tied to the extent that we desire to obey him and desire to please him. And we're, again, we all make mistakes, but do we repent when we fail? Are we trying to get better? Uh, the verse speaks for itself, but if anyone obeys his word, okay, so you have a lifestyle of obeying the Bible, of of, of studying your Bible, of reading it, of listening to teachings like these, listening to teachings at church that are driving you to obedience, and you do really do want to do it. You want to obey him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. Wow. So the love of God is made complete in you as you cooperate in obedience to what the Bible says, how we're supposed to live. Wow. This is how we know we are in him. So again, John is now giving you another examination, another test to know how you are truly in Christ. This is how we know we are in him. This is how we know that we are true Christians. Verse six, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Do you have a desire to be like Jesus? If you're claiming to be a Christian today, you claim to be saved, there ought to be some desire in you to know Jesus and to live like him, to be like him, to love like him. This is not saying to do miracles like him, but that'd be great too, right? Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did, must walk in, in the love that Jesus did, the selflessness that Jesus did. No, we're never going to do it to the extent he did it. But as C.S. Lewis said, we ought to be like, 
little Christ, right? We're not God, but creatures who on a finite level are looking to emulate Jesus in everything. Do you have a desire to live for Jesus, to be like him, to please him, to walk as he did? If you do, that is a very good sign that you're truly saved. If you don't, it's a sign that, that you very possibly are not truly saved and you need to go back to the foot of the cross and receive Jesus the way we just talked about a second ago or a minute ago when I talked about if you haven't received Jesus. Verse seven, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning, okay? And this really probably is referring to the, from the beginning of their Christian lives. I mean, it certainly could be said that it, it's all throughout the Old Testament, okay? Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had from since the beginning. Again, it could mean from the beginning of the time they heard about Jesus, and certainly it was in the Old Testament. This old command is the message you have heard. Verse 8, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So this, this, this command, okay, um, to, to love, okay, to walk in love for God by obeying him. And then in verse nine, he's going to, he's going to talk about in, in walking in love for one another, walking in a way that's pleasing to Jesus, right. And obeying him. Um, you know, this command right, is something that, that's always been there in our Christian lives. But there, there ought to be a, a growing newness to it as we walk with Jesus more and more, right? Does that make sense? Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, okay? One which you have had since the beginning. Again, so very possibly since you've become a Christian, you have known this. You've known that you ought to be walking to obey Jesus. And in as much as you obey him, you show that you love him. Because when you obey him, you please him, right? Just like our children. We're pleased when our children obey us, of course, right? It's not a rational parent that's pleased with a child that's blatantly disobedient. We still love them. Our Heavenly Father's love is not conditional, right? But certainly his pleasure is. He's not pleased with blatant disobedience in our lives, right? This old command is the message you've heard, okay? This message, again, to walk in love toward your Heavenly Father, to walk in love toward your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Um, to, to, to obey the Word of God, to be in the Word of God, and in this way, show your desire to love and please your heavenly Father in Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him, in Jesus and in you. You can see this truth of love when you look at Jesus and you ought to be able to see it when you look into your own life. Are you trying to be like Jesus? Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Again, as you, as you grow in Jesus Christ, the darkness the sin, the ungodliness, the worldliness ought to be passing out of your life more and more. And the light of Christ, the light of the word of God ought to be growing more and more and more and more. And again, the closer we get to Jesus returning, more and more is the darkness passing. It was up to me, Jesus would come back today because the darkness is passing and the true light is, is already shining. Again, if you're in Jesus today, the light of Jesus Christ, the light 
of the word of God and the son of God and the Holy Spirit of God, the love of your father ought to be shining more and more and more and more. And the darkness, the things of the world, the sin of the world, the ways of the world ought to be passing more and more out of us. Mm. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, your tremendous grace on our lives. Father, we thank you for this book of 1 John. Father, we do ask you to help us to be children who will live in a way that's more pleasing to you, that will live in a way that is less sinful, Father, that we will live in a manner where where we're walking in greater obedience to you, Father, because we do want to love you more. Lord Jesus, we want to be like you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now. We ask you to convict us. We ask you to seal this message to our hearts and help us, Holy Spirit. Convict us that we would walk like Jesus did, that we would want to emulate our Lord and Savior more and more every day of our life. Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.